Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Melody Musgrove and Dr. Kathy Grace with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Hello, everybody. We're so glad that you're with us again with our Ed's Up broadcast. We are so fortunate today to have Steve Gross, the Chief Playmaker of Life is Good Kids Foundation. And so, Steve, thank you so much for being with us. And the first question I have is, what is the Chief Playmaker? (laughs) Well, it's funny. When I brought my organization over to Life is Good, they asked me to come up with a title. And um, since I was the founder of the program, I said, well, I'm going to be founder. And they said, nah, man, you don't want to be founder because... Founder is usually like you did something good way back in the past and now you're just resting on your laurels. So they said, you know, you should be the CEO. And I said, do I look like a CEO to you? And they said, no. And I said, so I can't be a chief executive optimist. I'm a playmaker. So I guess I'll just be the chief playmaker. And, uh, you know, that's how I that's how I took the title. Well, I think it fits. Very well. Uh, and uh, if you would ex- just explain a little bit more about what you do uh, to be able to be called a playmaker. Well, so if you think, Dr. Grace, about a playmaker in sports, usually that term comes from when the game is on the line, you want the ball in the hands of your playmaker because your playmaker won't shrink from the moment and they're going to make something good happen in the game at a pivotal time in the game that changes the outcome of the game for good. Well, playmakers in sports are really important, but playmakers in life are more important. And so we think about childcare professionals, especially early childcare professionals, early childhood educators, um, that they come into a child's life at a pivotal time in their life and they change the trajectory of their life. So we, we really, as an organization, provide training, resources, consultation to the frontline men and women who dedicate their lives to building healing, life-changing relationships with kids. And um, that's, that's our mission. And we do so. The other part of our mission is spreading the power of optimism. And so the idea is if we're going to really make a good impact on children, Well, we have to help children to see their strength, to see the good in themselves, to see the good and value in others, and to see the good and opportunity in the world, even amidst the obstacles. And so um, that's our work to support the men and women who dedicate their lives to caring for kids. Well, I have to say in full disclosure, you've been in Mississippi and spent a good bit of time back during the Katrina days. And uh, I have seen you work and in, in fact, I have been amazed at the miracles that you perform through the kind of work that you do. So could you be a little more specific with our audience in terms of how you spread optimism or how you, uh, how you feel about the world and how that impacts what you do in the world? Sure. Well, I mean, I think sometimes people have a, they don't have a proper understanding of what optimism is. And I don't mean that they, it's like optimists sometimes get a bad name. It's kind of like you just gloss over the problems and you say everything is great, everything is perfect, everything is wonderful, and that somehow if you're an optimist, you're not a realist. And um, actually, I had somebody once say say to me, you know, Steve, I'm not an optimist, I'm a realist. 
And so I asked them, well, what's really going on? And they said, well, we got a pandemic. We got an economy that's in trouble. We got political division. We got racial injustice. We got all these issues. And I then asked him, well, is that all that's going on? And he looked at me kind of funny and I said, well, you know, yeah, we have a pandemic, but we also have men and women who are risking their lives to care for others who they don't even know. And we got doctors and scientists who are looking for treatments and vaccines to, to cure. We have educators who are figuring out how to make connections with kids, you know, over Zoom now and change the way they do their work so that they can help children. And we have people on the front lines fighting for equality. So an optimist is about your capacity to see, and I mentioned this before, to see goodness and value in yourself first and foremost, goodness and value in the people around you, and to be able to see the opportunities amidst the obstacles. And kind of the way we do that is, um, you know, if you think about what makes an educator fantastic, um, and you think about, well, Dr. Grace, do you have, if you think back to when you were in school, do you have a favorite teacher? Do I have a favorite teacher? Yes, I do. I have two of them, and, as a matter of fact. And uh, when were they your teacher? One was a first grade teacher and one was a uh, history civics teacher and then one in college. Okay. So your first grade teacher, what makes her your favorite? How do, you know, even, I mean, you haven't been in the first grade for probably 32 years. So um, <laughs> yeah, what makes right. you still remember your first grade teacher? I think it was because I have credited her with teaching me how to read, which is very important. Mm -hmm. And uh, also that I have fond memories of the classroom and that it was a fun place. Yeah. See, I think when we think about a quality educator, there's really kind of two sets of skills we look at. One of them is your professional skill set. You go to school, you learn about literacy and numeracy, you learn how to be an educator, you learn about child development. If you're a teacher in higher grades, you, you, know, you, you learn about history and math and all of those things I kind of put under your occupational skill set. And that's what separates teachers from other occupations because you have a skill set that is different. But in addition to that, professional or occupational skill set, you need a human disposition, this dispositional energy that sometimes people think, well, you're either born with it or you're not. Students want to be with teachers who are fun and energetic and positive and loving and compassionate and creative and grateful. And when we are in the life-changing relationship or the education relationship with children, Personal disposition matters every bit as much as professional skills, if not more. So our focus becomes how do we help people to nurture their optimal disposition as an educator and a healer? And, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's lots of people say, well, hey, you know, you're either born fun, you're either born loving and compassionate, um, or you're not. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, you either got it or you don't. And what some folks don't realize is every skill set, including disposition, can be cultivated just by focusing on and working on it. So, for instance, I work all the time to be more grateful, to practice gratitude. I need to work to practice compassion, especially with relationships that are difficult. You know, I need to work to practice um, being open minded, being authentic. 
And so those are those dispositional elements that sometimes we just need to pay attention to them and focus on them because, you know, what you focus on grows. And I think in the human service profession, especially, we sometimes gloss over a disposition. You know, when people think about professional development, they think a lot more about gaining more occupational skills as opposed to saying, hey, how am I going to grow my capacity for compassion or gratitude or love? So that's been our focus. And, um, you know, what's interesting is there's it's not just touchy feely stuff. There's a real science to it. You know, when people think about, you know, folks that are studying human development and and neuropsychology and positive psychology. There's some really pragmatic ways that we can grow our capacity for these human traits that tend to make our lives a little bit richer and more fulfilling. Well, I think you raise a good point about the attention perhaps in teacher preparation and in uh, just in general that we focus more on academics or we focus more on uh, the measurable growth in children through testing or through some kind of assessment. And uh, some of the things you're talking about don't necessarily have a number you can assign in the process of growth. Uh, I know you've worked with teachers all over the country and you've worked with folks that weren't necessarily teachers. Uh, what are some things that you see universally across the, the board here that if we were, if we could go back and know some things now in parenting children, what would be some of these elements or some of these things that we could provide in our environment or our relationship with children that would help to nurture this spirit of optimism or this spirit of joy? Because I know you talk a lot about the joy in learning and the joy in living. So I think, Dr. Grace, one of the most important things that I learned when I first started working with educators and with child care professionals, and it was around the importance of play and connection and joy, I thought that I had to just kind of teach them that play and connection and joy were important and that would change their behavior or that would change and enhance their interactions with children. And what I realized was that for many of the teachers who were struggling to bring joy and connection and positivity to their kids, it wasn't because cognitively they didn't know that that was an important thing to do. They weren't able to do it because inside they we're lacking a sense of joy, connection, confidence, inspiration, which kind of led me to realize that, you know, for anyone working with children, whether it's a parent or an educator, you cannot spread to children what you do not have for yourself. So if you want to help kids to feel connected, to feel joyful, to feel inspired, well, the reality is, we have to, or you have to feel joyful, connected, and inspired. Because I learned from a great teacher in Mississippi when I was here during Katrina, that when it comes to social and emotional development, more is caught than taught. And so children catch our energy. So when we come and we interact with children or handle conflicts with children from a place of joy, a place of love, a place from inspiration, a place from confidence and wholeness, well, our work with children is much more effective. I mean, as a parent, you know, when I am at my best, when my cup is filled and my children come to me with an issue or a challenge or a problem, man, I can meet that challenge with the right amount of energy. But we all know as parents, sometimes our cup is empty. 
and we're overtired, we're agitated, we're stressed, we haven't gotten any exercise, we haven't worked, you know, we haven't been taking good care of ourselves. And then our kids present us with a challenge and we come at them from a different place of energy. And, you know, a documentary filmmaker could follow me around for a month and watch me parent and they could take some of the clips and make a documentary film of how Steve Gross is a great parent. But they could take a bunch of other clips and put them together to show how Steve Gross is not a very good parent. And I'm the same guy. But when I have the right energy, I can share it with kids. And so what we talk a lot about is for care providers, especially now during this time where our social and emotional and psychological well-being might be really at risk, it's going to be really hard to care for our children effectively if we're not able to care for ourselves effectively. And so it's very important that care providers are looking and saying, what do I need to bring more joy into my life? What do I need to do so I can feel connected and not feel isolated? What do I need to do to maintain a sense of inspiration and creativity? What do I need to do in order to feel confident and to, to come at, to, to, you know, to do this work with the right amount of self-worth and self-esteem? And getting that for yourself is one of the most important things. And it's not easy, especially when we're going through difficult times, especially when many of us have had our own childhood trauma histories. And somehow we think that focusing on our own joy and our own connection, our own inspiration is somehow selfish. Well, actually, it's foundational to being able to support the social and emotional well-being of children. And so, you know, I always ask every adult really to have what we call a playmaker practice, which is thinking about what you need to do to bring more joy into your life. Who are the people that you need to connect with and stay, stay connected to that help you feel good about who you are? What do you need to do to stay strong and balanced? And what do you need to do to remain inspired? And that's a different thing for different people. But um, focusing on your own sense of self-care is critically important. And I look at it the same, like if a professional athlete is in the gym and they're working out and someone goes, hey, that's selfish. Why are they working out? You go, that's not selfish. They're preparing their body for the job that they have. Well, as a teacher, as an educator, when you're working on your own social and emotional well-being, you're actually working on the skill set that you need to be effective in your job. And so I think it's an important part of a of a of an educator's professional development. And I know for myself, man, I had a lot of losses recently. Um, I lost my dad about eight months ago, who's my role model. Um, you know, we found out a little bit after that, that, that my wife had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, fortunately we caught it nice and early and there's, there's lots of treatment available to us. But I knew that I couldn't do my job if I was not you know, if, if I was not well, kind of socially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. So you get into your practice. I started meditating more. I started to exercise more. I got myself my own therapist. I started connecting with people who I knew I needed to connect with. I focused on making music and singing, things that I like to do because I knew I had to stay emotionally or psychologically strong in order to meet the challenges that I was faced with. So that would be, I'm sorry, Dr. Grace, for the long-winded answer, but really that's the number one thing is that we have to take care of ourselves before we can or while we are taking care of children. And if we become depleted, well, it's, 
it's kind of hard to pour from an empty pitcher. No, I don't uh, at all uh, mind you being long-winded because every word you said is in and of itself a lesson. Uh, and I think that with the word play has sometimes gotten a bad rap uh, because People assume, well, that's just uh, a mindless thing that kids do or that adults do and that it really has no uh, real bearing in what we're going to become as productive adults as far as what this society defines as productive or successful adults. And what you've been able to do is to show us that uh, that's pretty much a myth, uh, that uh, what really makes us whole and complete has to do with the first place that, that we start with would be us and mm. uh, whatever us happens to be uh, and the lessons that we can share with children are going to come from wherever we are in the place of strength or, or weakness. Hopefully you've given us some good tips on how to be strong. Dr. Grace, can I add one thing? Sure. You know, play, we always look at play differently. You know, play is not about what you do. It is the spirit and energy you bring to whatever it is that you do. And so sometimes people think, well, hey, if I'm, uh, if I'm you know, over at the sand table, I'm playing. But if I'm working on a, literary, you know, a literacy assignment, I'm not playing. And that's, it's not about the activity. We can always be playing. See, play is about freely and joyfully engaging, connecting, and exploring with the world. All education is play provided we bring the right energy to it. And so, you know, you can take any activity and make it play by figuring out how do I bring more joy to it? How do I bring more connection to it? I mean, I've had some of the greatest teachers who could make, you know, math actually more playful than a game of kickball. It just takes a lot of energy. It takes some creativity and it takes being a playmaker, but we can't limit play is something like, hey, it's about puzzles, it's about art, it's about games, and the other stuff is work. Um, I don't know who, who it is that once said the supreme accomplishment in life is to blur the line between work and play. And I feel like when I'm with you today, Dr. Grayson, we're talking, I'm playing. I'm playing my job because I feel connected. I feel passionate. I feel joy. And, and I don't separate that to think, hey, I'm working right now. I'm playing. And, um, you know, I, I think that bringing kind of more of that joy and connection and prioritizing it in education is crucial because, you know, when we look at high school students that talk about sometimes the one thing that they, the one word that they will often use to describe school is boring. And when, when kids are inspired, when someone makes material feel relevant to them or brings excitement or helps to bring enthusiasm, well, kids learn better. We all learn better when we're having fun and we're invested. So don't think about play as an activity. Think of it as an energy and a spirit that you can bring to every activity. Well, if I'm a smart person, I will uh, tell you that I have nothing to add because <laughs> you have uh, covered the waterfront and you have done a much better job than I could ever uh, hope to do. I can buy that for a minute. Uh, Steve Gross, you are a fine man and a wonderful uh, gift to anybody who has the good fortune to hear you or to be a part of any of the, the trainings that you do. And uh, we're so grateful that you took time to be with us today. It's uh, my honor. It's, it's much easier to talk about this stuff than actually go into a classroom every day and deliver it with kids. I mean, 
I can sit here and talk about it, but the execution of it every day to bring your best, most joyful, energized self and caring for kids, that is the hardest, most important job in the world. So anything that we can do to be of support is an, is an honor uh, because it's much easier. My dad used to always say, when all is said and done, more is said than done. And uh, you guys are out there doing it every day. So thank you for the work that y'all do. Well, again, Steve Gross, you certainly made a contribution today. And I hope that everyone who has the opportunity to hear this will reflect on what you said and uh, be a little more joyful. Dr. Melody Musgrove, uh, and I thank you for being with us. And uh, I hope that everyone will enjoy Dr. Musgrove as she reads to us our lit bit for the day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Today's poem is about things we can learn from nature. It's by Kishma Lal, and it is from FamilyFriendPoems.com. Message from Nature. The mountains tell me, hold your head high. Whatever be the problem, look it in the eye. The rivers tell me, don't look behind. March on ahead till your goal you find. The sea tells me, have depth of character. The waves call out, don't forget your laughter. The trees tell me, do good to one and all. Let go of the past like I let my leaves fall. The sun tells me, you must go on shining. In every dark cloud, be the silver lining. Have a look at nature and you will see there's so much to learn just like me. That's Message from Nature by Kishmal Lal from FamilyFriendPoems.com. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. We're always interested in stories about children and those who care for them. If you'd like to share your story, email us at edsup at olemiss.edu. Until next time, bye-bye. Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity. 